So I have um, noticed in these last couple months um, how genuinely concerned um, some of you are for Tony and I, which is flattering, but, but you are genuinely concerned because I get this comment a lot of times um, on Sunday morning or during the week, and it's, how are you and Tony doing? How are you doing? Now, if you're sitting there going, what possibly would they be concerned about? It's because some of you are like thinking, we're struggling since now both of our kids are out of the house and since Cassie has gone to college. Um, we are not struggling at all. Um, no, no, I, I, I tease. We, are, we do miss the kids. And I, and I say sincerely, I appreciate the concern. I had a colleague, a colleague of mine came up this week. I was at a, a district event. And um, we've known each other since seminary. And she has, her children are um, older than Ryan and Cassie, so she's been through this. And, and she came up to me, and she is, she is an absolute, just wonderful person and pastor. But, but she came up to me, and I mean, she said, how are you doing? And it was, it was like we'd had a death in the family. I'm like, <laughs> we're good, you know. But, but that's her heart. She's just a very compassionate, she's a wonderful person. And, and so... But, but in change, what, what we do is you embrace new opportunities. And so what, and one of the things that we're getting to do now is we are, I'm embracing the opportunity to be the fun uncle because I've got nieces and nephews that live close. My brother um, and, his, his, and my sister-in-law, Judy, and my, my nephews, they moved down from Pittsburgh to um, the Brandon area a few months ago. And they come to church very often at the 11 o'clock service. And my nephews are 4 and 10. And, of course, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law on Tony's side, they've got a whole, you know, they've got girls. And so their girls are 2 and 3 and 10. So we kind of get to play this new role. And so in this new role, one of the things that we've been doing on Saturdays is we go up to Brandon because my, my nephew, Colin, plays football. So we go and we watch his football games and, and we do this. Can I tell you what Tony did, though? This, has, this is kind of a side note. She, um, she took a bag yesterday. We went to the game, and she loaded up this bag with candy and popcorn and all these just these sweets and things, and she took them so that my, my other nephew, Aiden, who's four, would have something, you know, would feel included, and she, she wanted to get something special for him. And I looked at her, and I said, you would never have done that for our kids. You'd have never loaded them up with this much sugar. I said, this is because we don't have to take them home. So, you know, so we're, we're having the fun in this, in this role. And one of the things I do, so I go to these games and I get to watch Calm play, and that's a lot of fun. It kind of takes me back because Ryan used to do that. Um, and, but I also can kind of people watch. I'm, I watch him, but I'm, I'm not, it's not as nerve-wracking as it used to be. I'm a little more relaxed. So... So I watch people, and so you're watching these games, and this is common, this is nothing startling, but it's just something I never really paid attention to. And that is, you know, when you watch football, those of you that watch football, you know, football play lasts five or six seconds. That's a long play, a five or six second play. And, and after that play is over, parents do this, we do this all the time, the, the play's done, and then you turn around and you start talking to each other for 30 seconds while they're getting ready for the next play. Because in that time, they're huddling. You know, think about it when you're watching, if you, you know, watching college football yesterday. A lot of us watch college football. We talk about it on Sundays when we come in. You, know, you watch for five or six seconds. Then there's 30 to 40 seconds of downtime. And proportionately, 
that's out of balance. Most people have said, why would you watch something that's six seconds of action and 30 to 40 seconds of inaction? Well, we know that that 30 or 40 seconds, if you, if you watch the games, you know that that's important. That's when the team's huddling. That's when they're setting the play. That's when they're, they're basically strategizing for the next thing that they want to accomplish. But we don't watch the huddle. The huddle does not engage us. I, I, I've started watching it, and it's interesting to see things I never see, how many different ways teams huddle, circles and line up and kids kneel or they hold hands, all these kind of things that they do. But we're really not interested in that. That's not the engagement. But we know that the huddle matters. The huddle's important, but nobody's paying 40 or $60 to go to a game on a Saturday or a Sunday to watch the huddle. But if the huddle's effective, then you, in at least developing the strategy, then it will show in the play, and you can leave satisfied. So if your team developed good strategy and implemented their strategy yesterday, you came to church happy today. And I had some of those conversations. Even Florida State fans were happy today. So, I mean, sorry, I couldn't, I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. That was wrong. That's why I talked about confession. We have to confess our sins. So, um, anyway, I was actually doing that more for her. For her. But, um, but, but, but anyway, we won't even talk about Michigan. So we'll just leave that one alone. But... Um, <laughs> But as important as the huddle is, if that was all there was, we wouldn't care. We wouldn't care. Tony Evans uses this example in, a, in his book that he wrote many, many years ago. And, and he talks about the church. And he, he talks about the fact that, that too often um, we like to huddle, but, but we forget about the game plan. We, we forget about what we're actually called to do, which is... To engage for the gospel. And, and that the, the, the measure of the church is in the marketplace. The measure of the church is, is what happens when, when we break the huddle. See, uh, another, another um, pastor I read not too long ago, and I, and I really kind of stole his language um, for this morning, talks about the church both gathered and scattered. And, and the gathering church... Or, as Tony Evans said, the huddle church, that's this, okay? This is the church huddle. This is the church coming together to worship. Uh, our small groups, our Bible studies, our fellowship groups, those are, those are the church gathered. That's us huddling in various forms for, for, for growth. And all of that really is important. And we're going to talk about that next week. That really matters. That's valuable. That's important. But when that's all there is, when, that, when that's the engagement of our, of our life of faith, um, we've missed the, the essential part of the call. We, we've, kind of, we've just kind of amassed together. And, and what the call of the church, what, what the call of Christ is to then scatter, to, to basically run the play, if, if I can you know, kind of build on, on the metaphor, to, to run the play, to, to engage. And, and what does that mean for us? And, and, and if the church exists to be scattered, how, how does that begin to frame our thinking and what it means to, to be this community of faith that, that Christ has called us to be? And so we have a, a history of, of the way the Holy Spirit has done this in the church. The, the, the gospel writer of, of Acts is the same gospel writer of Luke. It's Luke. 
So Luke writes his gospel, and that's the biography of Jesus, if you will. The gospel of Luke is one of the biographies of Jesus. Well, I heard it described once as that book of Acts is the biography of the Holy Spirit. It is the, it is the work of, of the Holy Spirit and how God began to work through the church to accomplish the, the purpose and, and plan for the church. And the, the outline, the blueprints, gets laid out right in the very first chapter. Right in the very first chapter, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read, actually, this is my fault, I cut it at verse 10, I'm actually going to cut it at verse 11, so I'm going to go one verse further than, than, is, than is on the screen this morning. But this is what we read. It says, in my former book, which is the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen... After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intelligent up to the skies he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And this is the completion. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would be challenged and inspired and and. Move to deepening faith, committed faith, through your word, through this worship, through these moments that we share together. Inspire them by your Holy Spirit and use us to your glory. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Luke starts, Acts, with this kind of recap. Of, of how we've gotten to this point in the, in the narrative, in, in the story. And, and this point is, is the, the, the disciples in Jerusalem preparing for this thing that Jesus said God's going to do. This coming of the Holy Spirit. No idea. No idea what that means. And they are huddled together. Right? I mean, that's the thing. They're, they've come together. Jesus is, has departed in, in a, in physically from them. And, and they're huddled, and if you go on to read, you know, they're in that upper room, and they're praying, and they're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And, and, and Jesus says this. He kind of, he says, and gives them a little foreshadowing, a, a little tease. He said that you will receive power from on high. That you're going to receive power. That's kind of this thing that you're waiting on. And, and that word is, is dynamis in Greek, and it's the root word for dynamite. Okay? This is, this is significant power. I mean, this is a power that's going to cause an explosion. This is a power that's going to have a, an effect far and wide. I mean, you think about what an explosion does, what, what dynamite does. It 
makes a mark, even at great distances, it goes boom. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to go boom. You're going, you're going to, to impact. In fact, if you think about that, I, I, I was reading in 1893 on one of the largest volcanic eruptions uh, that ever took place happened in Indonesia. It was, the, it was the, the eruption of Krakatoa, right? And it was said, it's believed, to have been heard up to 3,000 miles away. It, it had such an impact that it, changes, it changed global temperatures for a few years, dropping temperatures about a degree to a degree and a half. It changed the way for a while because of the, the, what was spewed into the atmosphere. The, for, for a couple years after, the moon at night looked a little more blue or a little more purple. The, 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 the sky looked a little more red, and, and the sun very often gave up more of a red hue. In other words, this boom had an impact around the world. Okay, that, that's the point. It, it had such, such a, a significant shaping of... of the environmental realities for, for a time. Well, what Jesus says to the church, what he's saying to these gathered believers is when you go boom, you're going to start to change the world. And that's why he kind of gives this ever-widening circle that I've talked about before. You'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. We're getting wider and to the ends of the earth. Your boom is going to change the world. And I mean, when you think about this, these events happened over 2,000 years ago in the capital city of Jerusalem. We are 6,693 miles from Jerusalem. And here we are. How was the boom? How was the boom? I, I looked for fun. I wanted to see what's the furthest significant civilization, community groups from Jerusalem. And it is the French... Um, Polynesian Islands in the middle of the Pacific, 16,000 miles from Jerusalem, literally on the other side of the earth. There are 275,000 inhabitants of these small French Polynesian Islands. Over 50% of them identify as Christians, 150,000 roughly. How was the boom? How was the boom? That's what Jesus wants to get out and to become the church scattered. But see, here's what happens. In the first six chapters of Acts, the church takes up residence. The church takes up residence in Jerusalem. They gather. The Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost happens. They begin to preach Jesus. And, and people come to faith in droves. And they anchor in Jerusalem. And they stay Right there, and you read those first six chapters, and everything's happening right there until a, a, a catalyst happens and, and really happens through the, through the events surrounding one man's life. And it's, it's fitting, I'd love to tell you that I strategized this today on a Stephen Ministry Sunday. I'd love to tell you that I was that forward in my thinking, but it just kind of was a Holy Spirit thing. But, but that, that, that catalytic event, if you will, was around the, the life of Stephen. In the sixth chapter, 
You read, and it's referenced in your bulletin, you read that, that the, the apostles realize the church is growing so fast, we can't care for everybody. we got to pick others to help care for the community and care for those who are in need. So, so the group is picked, and Stephen is kind of the, the one who is highlighted out of these group of, of men that are called to care for the needs of, of some within the community to give the one-on-one care. And as the church is growing and, and, the, and the opposition is starting to grow, Stephen becomes a, a pinnacle of that opposition. And when he preaches a powerful sermon in Acts chapter 7, testifying really to the, who Jesus is, the end of that chapter, the end of that experience, is Stephen gets stoned. He becomes the first Christian martyr. And if you know that story, you remember there's a young man there who uh, gathers the coats that everybody who stoned him, that, that they lay the coats at his feet, and he becomes kind of the, the, the focal point of the persecution of the early church, and his name was Saul, which we would then know to become Paul. But, but here's the point, that in light of the stoning of Stephen, and in light of this growing persecution, an interesting thing happens, and I want to read to you the first four verses of Acts chapter 8, because this is, this is what we read and in fact, the headline in my Bible says this, the church persecuted and scattered. The church persecuted and scattered. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men and women buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word. And that really becomes the, the, the focal for us. What, <clears throat> what God does as he works, we don't embrace persecution. We don't seek persecution. We don't celebrate persecution. But we also recognize, recognize that God works through it. That, that God's at work. God can be at work through the, the best experiences of our lives. And God is at work in the worst experience of our lives. And so, as Paul affirms later in Romans 8, God works to good in all things. And all things is not just all good things. And so the church begins to face persecution. And God uses that. To accomplish the purpose which he had laid out in Acts chapter 1 that I think they'd kind of forgotten about. They got comfortable in Jerusalem. The early church liked Jerusalem because they were still a Jewish community. Don't forget that. These are, these are Jewish men and women. So they're still anchored in this historic um, focal point of the Jewish faith. They, they weren't setting out to start a new religion. They were setting out to bring fulfillment to the religion that they'd been raised in. And so they were comfortable there. And there's, there's a warning for us. We have to be careful when we get comfortable. We really have to be careful when we get comfortable because we kind of lock down in residence. And so the persecution begins. And God uses this as a catalytic moment for the church. It says they began to scatter. And this is not the leaders. This is not Peter, James, and John. These are regular, everyday men and women who had given their lives to Jesus. And all of a sudden, this persecution forces them into other places. It forces them to go other places. It forces them out of the place where they'd been comfortable. And they faced two opportunities. They could either run from it or they could embrace it. 
They could be a refugee or they could be a missionary. And I want to be, I want to be careful with my language here. I don't want you drawing modern parallels here and, and, and reading any political statements here because refugees have been in the news and we have to wrestle with how do we be Christ-like and love others when they are running from persecution and war and famine and awful circumstances. But that's what a refugee does. A refugee is running from a circumstance and a situation. What, what these early believers did is, is they're certainly running from persecution. They're being forced out. But rather than run from, they embraced the opportunity to run to. And when I say run to, what they did is they ran toward the opportunity to go new places to share Jesus. They embraced the opportunity to go into places where they could live their faith. And, and, and it says that because it says that as they were scattered, <coughs> they preached the gospel. They went and they took Jesus with them. And rather than, than being this church that gathered in one place, as they scattered, they began to make more disciples. Because they began to embrace what Jesus had laid out in Acts chapter 1. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And so they go and they, they move toward this living and embodiment of, of faith. And what it, what it means to, to be the church scattered. That, that word scattered in, in the Greek, there in Acts chapter 8, there, there's two variations of that word. One means, one variation of that word is to be scattered and to, to be no more. Uh, if you picked up, um, if you had a, a, a fire, you know, if you burned, you know, had a bonfire in your backyard or, or on your grill or something, if you picked up the ashes and you got a handful of ashes afterward and you threw them up, you've scattered the ashes. They are no more. They, they dissipate, right? But the other version of scattered uh, is an agricultural term. And it's the same kind of scattered that Jesus uses in parables. It's planting. It's scattering seed so that something will grow. It is scattering with an intention that, that something will be produced. And that's the, that's the word that we have here in Acts chapter 8. It's that they're scattered, but there's, there's harvest in the scattering. Right? That there's harvest, and, and the idea is to break, that, that we, we are the, the, the scattered church. When we go out, not, not in the face of persecution, but when we leave here, we go, and we go as, as teachers and, and caregivers and, and um, uh, electricians, uh, community members, neighbors, friends. I mean, every circumstance that, that God places us into, and we're the scattered church. We're going because God's called us with this opportunity to produce a harvest, to, to share faith. But, but, but we have to get out of the huddle to do it. I mean, you think about it. All around, during times of the year, you'll see the fields um, still being prepared um, to be for being planted, whatever may be growing at any of these places out here. Now, now here's what I've, I've never seen. Down here all the time, you'll see the field when it's been kind of cleared and, and the rows. I don't have the agricultural language, so those of you that are farmers, forgive my stumbling here. But, but you know, it's in the neat rows, and you know they're getting ready to plant. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment 
that you're walking and you, out, you're out and you see the farmer and you see him or her out there and all the rows have been prepared and all of a sudden you see him dig one hole and take handfuls of seeds and just dump them in one hole. Right, you think that's crazy. But I say, no, 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 it's okay. The seeds like each other. They like to be together. And that may be true, but you know what you're not going to get? Any harvest. You're not going to get any harvest. When, when we gather and we stay gathered, yeah, we like being together, and being together is important. That's why for two weeks we've talked about being mindful of the words that we use. and We've talked about how we deal with conflict because the gathering is really important, and we're going to talk more about that again next week. But if that's all there is, and we're no different than the farmer who dumps all the seed in one hole. That's, that's not the vision that, that Jesus gives. That's not the model for the church that we scatter. We scatter because when we do, we have impact. When we do, we make relationships, and we get to share our faith. And you think to yourself, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. You know how you share your faith? You get into relationships with people. You just make friends. All of you do that. And, and you know what you do to share your faith? You love those friends that God gives you. Love them. Love them. Be nice. Be kind. Reach out. Do the things that I know you do. Oh, and then once you are friends, once you've lived love, you're living your faith, even if you're never explicitly talking about Jesus, then you begin to look for a chance to tell them about Jesus in a natural way, in a way that is open, in a way that is receptive. Some people may not be receptive, and you may back off, and that's okay. That just means you're attentive. But you just love people, and you build relationships. And when the opportunity comes, you tell them about Jesus. Maybe you invite them to church. You know, maybe you have a story to tell. Maybe you're not comfortable with that. Remember, in John chapter 1, Andrew meets Jesus. And then he goes to his brother, and he really doesn't know what to tell his brother about Jesus. So he just says, hey, Peter, come meet Jesus too. And he just drags him along. He says, come where you can meet him too. Maybe, maybe that's what evangelism looks like for you. But, but my point is, but we're all called to it because you're all in places. If we stay here, we're just, we're just growing in the same hole and we're going to suffocate each other. But when we get out, we begin to scatter. We begin to have an image and to begin to model this image of a church that is growing wide in the way that we reach. We begin to go boom. We get to go boom. That's what Christ calls us to. We do gather, but we gather to scatter. The, the evidence of our faith, the evidence of what we do here, the evidence of this huddle and the effectiveness of the game plan, whatever language you want to use, happens when we walk out the door. Out there we get to go boom. Brothers and sisters, go boom. Loud, proud, and to the glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, we, we hear the call. We hear the call because it's, it's the call you gave thousands of years ago that you continue to give to the church. Be my witnesses. Receive my power and scatter to my glory. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to get out of here and scatter to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in your holy name and let the people of God say, amen. amen. Friends, as you're able, I invite you now to stand as we close uh, with our hymn this morning.
Brothers and sisters, go and take Christ with you. That's, that's our marching orders, to go and to sing in whatever way we're called that love of Christ. Go be scattered to the glory of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.